Hello, Merry Christmas. I'm so excited uh, to be here with you all. I'm Corey, I'm one of the pastors here at Third. And um, like Ed said earlier, I know that there's a lot of you. Um, I see a lot of people that I know. I see a lot of people that I don't know. Um, I'm equally happy to see both of you. And um, I don't know why, you know, some of you, some of you I know are here because you were just always expecting to be here. Some of you were not expecting to be here, but you are here for some reason, maybe perhaps even against your will. I hope that's not true. But even if it is, we are grateful that you're here um, and really do believe that the Lord has us all here for a reason together tonight um, that we might know him better. Um, let me just uh, tell you a little bit about, especially for those of you who are visiting and who don't normally worship here on Sunday mornings, let me just tell you a little bit about what we as a church family have been doing the last few weeks together. In the month of December, we've been doing this Sunday morning series in our preaching called Let Heaven and Nature Sing. And what we've been doing is we've been taking um, a lot of great old famous Advent and Christmas hymns, ones that we hear all the time. You hear it in the radio, you hear them in, ra in, you know, you hear them in coffee shops, wherever. And yet we have stopped really hearing what they're about. They've become like the wallpaper in your grandma's bathroom. You know, you just don't even, you don't even see it anymore. That's supposed to be a joke. Sorry, it's kind of weird. Uh, but I, years ago, you know, you just stopped noticing stuff. It's like old art on the walls. And so what we've been trying to do is just pull out some of these old hymns, re look at the words, and realize that there's just a whole lot of amazing content in these songs that have a lot of relevancy for our lives and our world today. And so tonight, um, the one that we're looking at is one of my favorites, one that we've already referenced to tonight, and that's Joy to the World. Joy to the World. And you might not know this, but this was written by a great, very famous hymn writer named Isaac Watts. Um, and it was actually written not as a Christmas hymn, but it was written, he was trying to write a musical setting to every psalm in the book of Psalms. And so this was his setting for Psalm 98. And it quickly was embraced as a Christmas song for obvious reasons. And so it's based on this wonderful psalm, Psalm 98. And so um, one of our college students, Basilla, um, who's a freshman at William and Mary, is going to read it to us. And so I just want to invite you, you can um, either just listen to B as she reads it. Um, you can, there's Bibles in the pew. Um, you can pull that out to Psalm 98 if you want to. In fact, you could even just take a Bible with you. You can have it. I, um, no one told me that I could say that, but I'm pretty sure you can do that um, <laughs> as a Christmas gift if you don't have a Bible and you want one. Um, or there's just, it's in the bulletin as well. So let's, let's listen as we hear God's word read from Psalm 98. Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth has, have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, about a week and a half ago, um, I was up in New York City for a couple of days. It's really fun to be in New York at Christmas time. And I woke up um, early one morning to catch a train to 
make my way back to Richmond. And so I woke up early, I caught the subway, um, I took the F train up to 6th Avenue Station. I walked up north up 6th Avenue. Um, I turned left on 34th Street to make my way to Penn Station. And I turned the corner, and uh, there, blasting out with 100,000 twinkly lights, plastered on the south side of Macy's, was this. I took a picture for you because I knew I would be here talking with you tonight. Have you ever been there? Have you ever seen this at Christmas time? Believe. And it was crazy, y'all, because even at like, it was like 6.30 in the morning, there were hundreds of people. They were all out on the sidewalks. Uh, the tour buses there were there with all the tourists. Everybody was outside taking pictures, taking selfies. Uh, everyone was gazing into the beautiful display windows. Christmas music was blaring out of the Macy speakers. I mean, it was a party at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> and it just revealed to me, it's, I mean, we love this stuff. We love this sense of Christmas magic. We, we love the sights and the sounds and the songs and the smells. We love the garland. We love the tinsel. We love the, the tacky houses that twinkle with synchronized musical patterns. Uh, we love the food. We love the parties. We love the seasonal drinks at Starbucks, and we are willing to pay $14.95 for a latte. Uh, we love the movies. My family started an odd tradition a couple of years ago in which the Friday after Thanksgiving, we all just plop into the couch and we just watch Christmas movies on the Hallmark Channel all day long. And let me tell you, these movies are truly deplorable. And, and yet, we love them. And we, and we watch them every year. We, we love this stuff. And it, and it just got me thinking, you know, that morning and as I was meditating on all this, is why do we love this? Why do we all sort of collectively as a nation descend into this celebratory madness for four to six to eight weeks <laughs> preceding Christmas? Now, the cynic among us, and I know that there are some cynics among us tonight, would say that the reason we love it is because basically the advertising industry and the retail empire have conspired to manipulate our sentimentality to gouge us for year-end profits. And yes, I am sure that that is true. <laughs> However, I believe, and I'm, I don't want to say to you tonight, that I think that there is something deeper to this. There's something deeper to all of our celebration of so-called Christmas magic. I think it's because there is actually something deep down inside of us as human beings that wants to believe in magic that wants to believe in enchantment, that wants to believe in mystery, and that, and that there's a possibility of real change and real hope for our world of suffering and sorrow and struggle. We want to believe, like that song that we sing and that you hear on the radio every Christmas, have yourself a very uh, merry little Christmas. Listen to this. From now on, what? Your, say it with me, friends. Your troubles will be far away. Seriously? And yet we sing it. Your troubles will be far away. And, there's some, and I really think there's something about Christmas time that makes us feel like that really could be true. And so we do this every year. You know, we endure the stress. We endure the expense. We endure all the craziness of it. And we basically give permission to all the retailers and all the songwriters and all the entertainers and all the advertisers and all the restaurants to indulge us, to let us, just for these few weeks of the year, believe that, there's, that there really is such a thing as magic that could transform our world that really will, there will be a time when all of our troubles 
will be far away. But we all know deep down that this is a myth. That it's basically like a big game that we play all December. And we know this because all of this magic ends abruptly on December 26th, like it's going to do in two days, right? And suddenly, kids, you, you know this has happened. The, ki- the presents that you have longed for for about the last six weeks, you will get them and they will feel really, really awesome and flashy tomorrow. And then the next day, they will seem very dull. And parents, you know this too, that the tinsel and the garland and the lights will suddenly feel very misplaced. Uh, the Spotify stations that you listen to for the last seven weeks will suddenly change over <laughs> to normal music. Uh, the food and the drink that you gorged yourself on that felt so delicious at the time will now make you sick. And, and you are thrust, basically thrust back into the real world, the world of boredom and pain, back into the crises of the new cycle that we have all tried to ignore the last few weeks. And on January 2nd, we'll basically wake up and stumble back into real life and wait until next year until we can again collectively delude ourselves with the fantasy of Christmas magic. So you ready for that? So what are we doing here tonight? Are we here tonight because we're just part of the delusion? We're just part of the Christmas magic ploy? No, I want to tell you, friends, that we are here tonight because we are daring to believe that Christians dare to believe that the magic that we sing about at Christmas time is actually true. And that this hymn, Joy to the World, and this psalm on which it is based, is actually singing about this. It's singing about the magic that we dream about, the myth that we want to believe, and the joy that we long for is actually true. It's real. We're singing, listen, we sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. It is a hymn that is a hymn of joy that is celebrating the universal, historic, global, even cosmic repercussions of Christmas, and that is daring to say that this Christmas story about Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus is not just a cute, sentimental tale, but is actually a true story about the rightful king coming again to reclaim the earth and make it whole again. If you know the hymn, you'll remember what it says in verse 3. Verse 3 is my favorite verse of the hymn. Do you remember how it goes? It mentions four terrible things. It mentions sin, sorrow, thorns, and you remember the other thing? Curse. And it's drawing our attention to the state of the world as we find it. This is, the, these are the things that mark our world. And I would... Guess to say that even if you are here tonight and you're not a believer in Jesus, you, we could all basically agree that indeed these are things that mark our world. Sin, sorrow, thorns, and a curse. We could all agree, could we not, that this world is not as any of us would want it to be. I mean, just this past year, I just listed out some, I just did like a quick Google search, 2018. Just this past year, we have collectively endured the deadliest school shooting in U.S. history, a heightened global refugee crisis, whole nation states like Venezuela and Syria collapsing into chaos, heightened numbers of terrorist attacks, growing alarm over the climate, the burning of California, the destruction of hurricanes, ongoing and exhausting political hostility. And you know, that was just like the first few things on the list. And then that is not even to mention the things going on 
in your own life, the struggles and trials of your family, in your job, your financial situation, your relationships, your disappointments, your failures, the harm that others have caused you and the harm that you have caused to others. Indeed, these are the things that mark even your life. Sin, sorrow, thorns, our world is cursed, broken, stuck. And this is why we long, this is why we all collectively long in this month for, for something to come, the magic to heal and to make things right again. It, as Peter Kreef, the philosopher, put it, we all feel like dethroned princes turned into frogs by a wicked spell, and we now await another spell, a transforming kiss to restore our world and our true identity. See, we are longing for the magic to be real, the myths and the fairy tales to be true because we are sighing and dying under the curse of this broken world. And the good news is that we are here, collectively celebrating here tonight, and we're, that we are about to sing is that it's real. That at Christmas time, as C.S. Lewis so wonderfully says, the myth became fact. The myth became fact. The immensity of God entered the womb of a woman. The king of all the earth became a child. The God that we lost has returned. See, at Christmas, we believe that the only person who can fix this cursed world has come to, do, to fix all these things, to forgive sin, to console sorrow, to eradicate thorns, and to heal the curse. As we sing in the hymn, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found in every single way. Listen, in every single way that our world is harmed and hurt and marred and cursed, Jesus has come to touch it and make it whole. He's come to heal your relationship with God, to heal your estrangement from him, to forgive your sin, to reconnect you, to unite you with the God who loves you and who made you. He's come to heal relationships, to restore conflict, to bring people and families back together again. He's come to heal the nations, to bring justice to the people of the earth. He has even come to heal creation itself. Did you hear what we sang? I mean, do you hear what we said in that song with Basola Red? They talked about rivers clapping their hands. That's no metaphor, friends. Mountains singing in the song. We sing fields and flocks, rocks, hills, and plains. Repeat the sounding joy. Let heaven and nature sing. Jesus has come to literally heal the material world, the environment, the animal creation. As far the curse is found in every way that our creation and world is cursed and twisted and torn by thorns, Jesus has come to heal. From weeds to waste, from the degradation of the environment to the destruction of the seas, from the warring of nations to the slavery of children, from cancer to chronic pain, from divorce to disease, from shame to fear, from loneliness to loss, the king has come to touch the world, to dwell among us, and to make it right. And that's what we celebrate tonight, friends. That's what we believe, that the work of hope and the work of renewal has started. It's hidden, it's unseen many times, but it has begun, and that it will be finished. And so what do we do? What do we do? If this is true, what do we do? Do we just come to church and sing songs and then go home? Is that all we do? Come on, y'all. Are y'all even awake? <laughs> what do we do if this is true? Well, let me just suggest two simple things, okay? First of all, I think that what we can do is we can receive the joy. Just do what the song says. Do you know the line? It says, um, let every heart, do you remember? Let every heart 
Prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. That's what you can do. Imagine your heart like it's a, it's a tiny house, you know. <laughs> Imagine your house is a tiny house. And what it means to be a Christian is to open the door of your tiny house and let the king in. And, and you just let the king in to begin to do his work of renewal and transformation within you first. And, you know, there's a lot of dark stuff in there. There's stuff, there's like rooms you don't want him to go into. There's closets you don't want him to open. There's dark and scary stuff in your life. There's wounds in your past. There's thorns, a lot of curse. But nothing is too dark for him. Nothing is too dirty for him. No thorn is too sharp for him. No wound is too deep for him. You can, it just, that's what it means to be a Christian. I want to be clear. Being a Christian is not being a good person. It's not going to church. It's not acting certain ways, voting certain ways. That's not what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is to prepare him room, to receive him. And John says, to the one who receives him, who believes in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. By receiving the king, you receive everything. Mercy, grace, hope, eternal life, union with God, everlasting life. So that's one thing you can do. Receive the joy, receive the king. But the other thing I think we can do is to spread the joy. You know, there's a, there's a great novel um, by an author named John Shea. It's called Starlight. And in this novel, this is, I love this. Y'all might not, the last people in the last year didn't really think this is funny. And so if y'all don't laugh, it's okay. But I think it's really funny. So there's this Christian, he tells a story about this Christian family who are quite concerned about the commercialism and the excess of Christmas. And so they decide that they are going to have a pure and holy, austere Christmas. And so they have no tree, no lights, no carols, no gifts, and they just decide to gather for a simple meal to pray and to go to bed on Christmas. And so later on, a friend asks them, so how did that go? And, and the mom says, oh, it was pleasant. <laughs> and the dad goes... It was an existential abyss. <laughs> Y'all thought that was more funny than the last people. But listen, listen, Christian, Christians actually get, get all uptight about this, right? Like it's, oh, we get all worked up and concerned about the excesses for Christmas. But let me tell you, here's what I think. Here's what I think the Christians, if this is true, we should be those who celebrate the most, who sing the longest, who party the hardest, and who have the tackiest houses. That's what I think. You know why? Because nobody else knows but us the real reason why we're celebrating, because we are actually believing that the king of all the earth has come and begun to renew all things. We are carriers of joy. That's our vocation, brothers and sisters. We are carriers of joy into this weary world. Into this weary world. And let me tell you, January is going to come, and we are going to be thrust out of our delusion and there will be little to shield us from the brutality of reality. And our world, as you know, is drowning in despair and depression with very little hope. The suicide rates are higher than they've ever been. Anxiety, depression levels are higher than they've ever been. And let me tell you, I am sick and tired of seeing the Christian community be complicit in that same degree of cynicism and despair. If you listen to Christian media, which I do not necessarily recommend for you to do, it seems like the whole Christian community has capitulated to that same sense of despair in which the world is going down the drain and there is no hope. 
But let me tell you, friends, let me tell you what our vocation is tonight. We are reminded tonight that our identity is to be vehicles, carriers, ambassadors of joy. Because we know that the king has come and he is coming. And it doesn't mean that we don't have our own burdens and our own sorrows and our own struggles, because I know many of you do. Being a Christian does not shield you from such things, but we carry our sorrows differently because we know the temporary nature of our cursed creation and that the king has already come. He is currently reigning and he comes to set the world free. We are carriers of joy. Sarah and I, let me just close with this story. Sarah and I have some dear friends named Holly and Brian. They were good college friends of ours. Two years ago, right in the beginning of December, after a two-year battle with aggressive cancer, Brian died, leaving behind Holly, his wife, and their three young kids. And uh, so about this time, or about a little, just earlier in December, this time two years ago, Sarah and I went up to D.C. to Brian's funeral. And we still talk, Sarah and I still talk about it as being one of the most powerful experiences of our lives. First of all, Holly, his widow, got up and she spoke of the peace that she and Brian experienced even in, the, in his in his uh, movement towards death. She spoke about the hope that she now has despite the tragedy that she was enduring. But here's the thing that got us. After that, we, we celebrated communion together and then we closed the service by singing Joy to the World. At a funeral, we sang, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. And you know what I felt like? I felt like we were being prophets of light against the darkness. I felt like we were standing up and shouting against evil, shouting against the curse. No. The last word of this world will not be death, will not be destruction, will not be sorrow. The last word that is spoken over this world will be a word of joy. And that's what we were singing. And you know what, friends? This is what we're doing here tonight. We are ambassadors of joy. So let us celebrate. We, of all people, have the reason to celebrate. The magic is real. He really will wipe away all tears, right all wrongs, heal this world far as the curse is found. There really is a day when we will sing all our troubles really will be far away. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand and, 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 and I want us to proclaim the truth of the victory of God over the darkness that we celebrate tonight. And then I want us to sing Joy to the World, and I want us to sing our faces off, as one of my young friends says. All right? So let's stand together, and I have a little um, call and response here that we're going to say together before we sing. So let's follow along with the words on the screen. These are not in the bulletin. They're only on the screen. Okay? To gather joyfully is indeed a serious affair for all celebrations and enjoyments gratefully taken are, at their heart, acts of war. And do we say together, in celebrating this Christmas night, we declare that evil and death, suffering and loss, sorrow and tears will not have the final word. We celebrate this night, friends, that our King has come, that hope has dawned, that renewal has begun, and that the restoration of all things is coming. And we say together, he comes to make his blessings flow 
far as the curse is found. And so, in our lights and glittering ornaments, in our shining trees and crackling fires, in our festive carols and sumptuous feasts, together we say, by these small tokens we affirm that joy has invaded our world. And we anticipate tonight the great celebration that awaits the children of God. And so, brothers and sisters, with joy in our hearts and praise on our lips, let's sing.